The Christmas Box, Chapter 17 Somewhere around 3.30, Delilah called and said she was just about there. Joe hung up the phone and looked around the living room and kitchen to make sure everything was in place. He felt a little silly about that, and it reminded him of Bella. Whenever someone came over, Bella would always apologize about the house, well, apologize that the house was in a mess. He knew she would have spent hours cleaning and making sure everything was in order before anyone came over, and had asked her why she said that once. Oh, it's just what all the smart women do, she had replied. He thought it was silly, but went along with it anyway. Now he was beginning to understand a little more about it. He glanced out the front window and could see Delilah pulling down the driveway. The snow had not started back up yet, but there was still enough in the driveway to concern him about her getting stuck. But she did all right and pulled to a stop by the walkway. He walked out the front door and to the car as she was getting out. I'm glad you got here safe and sound, he said, hugging her. I did okay. There were a few places that were getting bad, but I didn't have any trouble with my car, replied Delilah as she stepped away, as they stepped away. You need some help with your bags or anything, he asked, unsure of just how to approach the whole situation. Delilah seemed to have a curious or amused look on her face, as best he could tell, and nodded at him. Yeah, I'll take any help I can get. They walked to the rear of the car, and she popped the rear hatch open. Thank goodness she was not one of those people who packed the, their entire house on any size trip. She only had three bags, and none of them weighed a ton, so he had no trouble handling all three of them. They stepped inside the door into the living room, and Delilah shut the front door for him. They made their way down the hall as Joe nodded to Delilah where the spare bedroom was. Joe had spent some particular time on this room, building the furniture, bedposts, side tables, and a few other pieces of furniture. He was practicing and thought it best to furnish their own home and see what it looked like and how good he was before trying to sell any of it online. It turned out that he wasn't too bad and actually had an eye for this kind of stuff. If the boxes ever slowed down, he could fill in the spare time building furniture pieces. As Delilah stepped inside the room, she looked around and gasped. Oh, wow. This room is absolutely gorgeous, Joe. Where did you find all this furniture in here, she asked. Joe explained the room and told her about the pieces. He had not intentionally used this room for her to notice the furniture, but it was the biggest and best furnished of the three extra rooms in the house. So this was naturally the best choice. Wow, Joe, I, I had no idea you were this talented, she said as she ran her hand over the chest of drawers he had made. Yeah, when we first moved here, I was still having trouble focusing and concentrating on anything, or even being interested in anything much. So Bells thought it'd be a good idea to have me find a hobby to focus my attention on. So this is what we decided on. She was still taking in all the room and had turned to look at the mantle over the fireplace and spotted it at the very same time Joe did. <clears throat> Joe had forgotten that the box he made of Belle's favorite things was in here. Delilah walked over to it and just looked at it without touching it at first. Did, did you make this too? She breathed out lightly as if her voice at full volume could break the box. He debated on just how to handle this situation in the very short time since she first spotted it and decided to just be honest about it. You know, maybe it was time for someone else to be in on the truth. Uh, yeah, I made it. But you have to keep that a secret. 
No one knows I make those, he said. She seemed confused at this, and then he realized she had only noticed this one. He gestured toward the box. I've actually made a lot of them, and sold them, uh, here in town and online as well, he admitted to her. Really? Do you have any more here that I can see? She asked. I've shipped out all the orders for Christmas, but yeah, there are a few in my shop. We can go out there tomorrow and I'll show you around if you'd like, he offered. Oh yes, I'd love that. I never knew you were so talented, Joe, she praised him. Well, I'll let you get settled in and unpacked or whatever you need to do. I'll go get supper started and then I have to get some firewood for the house before it gets too dark. Uh, if you need anything, I'll be in the kitchen or the living room making a fire in the fireplace, okay? Sounds really nice, Joe. And Joe, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to just spending Christmas out here all alone with you, she said. And then her eyes got really big and her face flushed, turning extremely red. Uh, that didn't come out right. I didn't mean it to sound like that. I just meant spending some time with you as a friend or, or whatever this is, she offered. It seemed like she had already stuck her foot in her mouth and was trying to elegantly lay everything out on the table. <laughs> Joe smiled, feeling bad for her, and let it slide. That's quite all right. It's been a long time, and I'm sure we both have much we want to say or at least talk about. That's why I thought it'd be a good idea to spend Christmas together. I hate being alone, and I'm sure you do too, so it just seemed like a good time to do this. And a good idea is all, Joe said. I'm so sorry, Joe. I hope I didn't offend you or say something out of line, Delilah offered. Joe shook his head and said, no, no, you have nothing to apologize for. It's quite all right. Later tonight, after dinner, we can sit by the fire and talk things out. It's been a long time since I've talked to anyone, and I think it'd be good for the both of us. Delilah sat down on the edge of the bed and had a look of relief on her face. Okay, that sounds just great. I've had a lot on my mind lately. And that's part of the reason I called you in the first place, just to reconnect and see how we both are doing, you know, she added. Sure, I get it. This is all new to me, too, and I'm, I'm glad we have the chance to just talk things out. I knew we would eventually need to do so at some point. I just didn't know when it would be a good time is all he answered. Then changing the subject, he said, all right, you go ahead and get settled in. I'll go take care of everything out here. Supper should be done in about mm, 30 to 45 minutes. Okay, Joe, sounds really awesome, she replied. Joe headed to the kitchen and started getting out the pots and pans he would need for making supper. He was somewhat relieved to hear that Delilah, too, had been thinking about the same lines that he had, along the same lines that he had. <clears throat> it certainly took some of the pressure of off both of them. Well, <laughs> at least it would once he at least it would once he tells her that he too had been thinking the same things. At least we should have uh, make good headway tonight after supper, and that's good, he thought to himself. <clears throat> Once he had prepped the food and had everything going, he decided to go out and get the firewood before the next snowstorm started up. Joe went to the back door and put his coat on before stepping outside into the cold, brisk air. It was already getting much cooler with the sun going down, and he realized he would have to hurry if he didn't want to have to use a flashlight to see in the dark. He trotted across the driveway to the shed where he kept the firewood. He pulled out the wheelbarrow and flipped it right side up to place the firewood inside. He loaded it up and started back across the driveway and then suddenly stopped. He thought he'd heard something. No, he knew he had heard something. 
and it wasn't nature or any kind of animal. It was a sound he was familiar with already. He just hadn't heard it in the past few weeks. It was the lady next door playing that song again. Although this time it sounded slightly different, but he couldn't figure out why or how. He realized, too, that this time the sound was slightly louder for some reason, as he could clearly hear it through the trees. He knew that it was dark enough that he would not be able to see through the trees very well, but he couldn't resist trying to sneak through them to hear better, and maybe even get to see her for himself this time. He set the wheelbarrow down and hurried into the trees. The sound was getting louder now, and he could feel the excitement running through him. He realized that he was getting close to the edge of the woods and stopped not wanting to let her know that he was there, but still trying to be able to see her for the first time. The musical piece was still stunning to him, and this time it sounded richer, or maybe fuller, if he had to describe it. He couldn't understand what the difference was until he approached the edge of the woods and could see two women standing on the back porch, playing the same song together. He remembered Mr. Charlie telling him that she was a professional, and he certainly believed it now. As they reached the end of the piece, they both put their violins down and laughed with each other, clearly enjoying each other's company and the music as well. He could see that one of them, the blonde, had suggested they play the piece again to the brunette, who agreed, so they began playing it again. Now that he was only on the edge of the woods, the music sounded so much fuller and impassioned to him. He could almost feel the notes as they played together, and it moved him emotionally as he listened to their playing. He listened for a few more moments and then reluctantly turned and headed back to the house, knowing that Delilah would come looking for him shortly if he didn't return. Just before he exited out of the woods, he noticed the music go silent and figured that they must have gotten cold enough to go inside. <clears throat> Joe hurried to get the wheelbarrow over beside the back door and then took the, woods, took the wood inside. Delilah had finished unpacking and was already walking around the living room when he came back in. She smiled at him and made small talk again about how beautiful the place was. While he stacked the wood next to the fireplace, he told her all about the different things they had fixed or improved around the house. When he was done, they both walked into the kitchen to check on supper, which was just about ready. He asked Delilah if she minded setting the table for them, which she did not, so he showed her where everything was. <clears throat> Sorry. And she set about taking care of that while he pulled the baked ham out of the oven. It was a very simple recipe and one that he and Bells had both loved. You basically took a pre-cooked ham and placed it on a baking tray, then used toothpicks to hold slices of pineapple and a cherry in the middle of that all around the outside of the ham, and then pour the juice from the pineapple can over the top of the ham. It was very simple, but very effective and tasty as well. With the food ready and table set, they made their way around the table and sat to eat. Joe blessed the food and they both ate heartily, enjoying each other's company and the food. By the time they finished eating, it had started to snow again. Delilah noticed the snow, but didn't say anything. It occurred to her that it might snow enough that she could get stuck here longer than they had planned. She wondered if this would be weird, if it would inconvenience Joe, or if it even bothered him at all. He seemed quite content with how the evening was going and didn't even comment on the snow. Well, I guess when we get around to talking about it, maybe we will find out just how comfortable we are around each other, she thought to herself. They both worked together on clearing the table, and then Delilah washed the dishes while Joe put the food away. The coffee had just finished brewing, so they both made a cup and then made their way into the living room and sat by the fire. 
There had been plenty of laughing, joking, and sharing of news in their own lives through supper. But now as they sat on the couch together, both realizing that the conversation would be turning more serious, it grew very quiet in the room as they each contemplated what the other was thinking. <clears throat> Chapter 18 Wow, that was so cool. But it was way too cold to do it again, exclaimed Anna as they both hurried back inside from playing on the porch. Anna shivered a little bit, shivered a little bit, and then made her way into the living room where they had sat the cases for the violins. I don't know, I kind of like it. Actually, I absolutely love it. I know it's a little cold, but I just love the way the music reverberates off the old buildings and the trees. And especially in the snow. <laughs> it's awesome, replied Julia. Okay, okay, I, I can see that you love it, but don't expect me to be going out there every day playing with you. You can have it all by yourself, added Anna, laughing. They each put their instruments away for the evening and made their way back into the kitchen for some more coffee. You know, I just had the greatest idea. What do you say about us baking up a batch of cookies, and then we drive next door and drop in on your gorgeous neighbor and interrogate him, asked Anna. Julia looked at her like she was crazy. Not on your life. Are you serious? She replied, laughing, knowing Anna was just joking. Or, or at least she hoped she was just joking. Well, I'm just saying, there's no better way to find out about him than to just go over there and introduce yourself, right? Added Anna, apparently not totally joking. But it's Christmas Eve. Who goes over to a stranger's house on Christmas Eve? What if that woman I saw is over there? Now that would be a scene, wouldn't it? Said Julia. Yeah, I guess you're right. We would need to get you a Santa hat first, and then it would work better, suggested Anna. What in the world am I going to do with you, Anna, joked Julia. You know you love me just the way I am, chided Anna. They laughed and talked about the curious neighbor for a while longer, and then Anna looked around the room and asked, well, Where's Nathan been all this time? I would have thought he'd be climbing the walls by now as late as it's getting, she asked. Julia glanced at the stairs, aware all the time that he had been upstairs playing in his room this whole time. One of his favorite things to do. Yeah, Nathan keeps to himself a lot these days. I'll periodically check up on him and all, but I don't know, Anna. He's just been through so much in such a short period of time. I really believe all this drama unfolding all around him, with his dad just passing, knowing that his own dad is gone, or with dad just passing, knowing that his own dad is gone, and then this huge move away from everything he knows into a strange new place. It's got to be taking a toll on him, replied Julia. Anna said nothing for a while and then asked, And what about you, Julia? Are you doing okay? Julia didn't really know how to respond at first. She had just been so busy with all the essentials of everyday life, as well as this Christmas season coming up so fast after everything that had happened. She had just not even had time to stop and think about it. She became aware that there was just the hint of an overwhelming feeling coming over, and she knew it was the bottled-up grief that she just didn't have the time to release as of yet. Sure, there was the funeral, and a few days after that, she cried a few times, but then she, but then she was right back at it with the lawyers, and also, no, she had not fully let her grief flow and then dissipate to the level it needed to be for her to go on. She just looked at Anna and bit her bottom lip, knowing that the tears were coming. Anna walked over to her and just held her as Julia allowed the grief to begin running its course. After a while, the tears stopped, and Julia had calmed down. Anna had held her this whole time and just let Julia work through it. 
Now Anna let go of her and they made their way to the couch. They both sat on each end and turned their bodies facing each other so they could talk one leg over the side of the couch and one leg turned up under them. I just, I feel like I'm handling all of this as best as anyone could, but sometimes the awareness that I have absolutely no family left is rather depressing, you know, said Julia. Honey, you're not alone. I'm your family, and I will always be there for you and Nathan no matter what. Who says you have to be born into a family to be a part of one, Anna said. Julia smiled and was, smiled and was relieved that she had found a real treasure when she met Anna. At one point during their small talk on the couch, Nathan had come down the stairs looking for a snack. They had all three joked around and laughed together for a while. Nathan had seemed a little keyed up and excited like most kids should be on Christmas Eve, so Anna was comforted by this, but knew that what Nathan really needed was to get outside, not in the yard, but outside in the real world, and meet some friends. This would help him so much socially as well as mentally. After he finished his snack, he promptly wished his mom and Anna a Merry Christmas and headed quickly back up the steps like he was about to miss something extra important. Julia and Anna made their way back to the couch. And after a minute or two of just small talk, Julia glanced at the clock and realized it was getting late. I'm going to have to go put Nathan to bed or we will end up missing half of Christmas Day, she said, and then made her way up the stairs to get Nathan settled into bed. He certainly was a reserved child, and this bothered Julia some. She understood where this was coming from, but still, she just hoped in some small way that he would get more excited about some things and act more like a small child. It just seemed to her that he was missing out on something that he may never get back. He had asked a few of the normal questions about Christmas, like would Santa know that they were here and not in Boston anymore, and whether or not he knew what Nathan wanted since they had never had time to talk to him. Ouch. That one was my fault, little bug, she thought. Just then, Anna came through the door and made her way over to the bed, kissing Nathan goodnight on the forehead and ruffling his hair, which she found amusing. He found amusing. He asked her if she was staying for a while, and Anna assured him that she would be staying for a few days and not to worry. This satisfied him, and he started yawning, so Julia tucked him in, and then she and Anna left the room. Oh, that little boy is my whole world, Anna, breathed Julia as she placed her hand over her heart. Anna smiled knowingly and then said, I know, but that doesn't mean you should make a little, should make a little room. I know, but that doesn't mean you should make a little room for Mr. Mysterious next door, right? Yeah, I gotta fix that. Okay. Julia giggled as they went back up downstairs. Yeah, they're already downstairs, so I'll have to edit that. Okay. Julia suddenly stopped and turned to Anna. You know what? It's 9.30 and I'm feeling much better about things. What do you say we cook up a batch of cookies? Drive over there and ask him if he's seen Santa Claus yet, Julia said. Oh, yeah. Now that's a great line, agreed Anna, laughing. They continued to talk for a little while longer and then decided to turn in for the night. They wished each other Merry Christmas, hugged tightly once again, and then made their way to their bedrooms as the snow decided to continually, slowly drop lazy flakes all across the yard and the porch until very early Christmas morning. Chapter 19. <clears throat> As
As they sat on the couch staring at the fire and not saying anything, Joe realized that Delilah was waiting for him to start the conversation. <laughs> After all, he had been the one to suggest it. Joe had been thinking for a while about the best way to approach this and really was still unsure about the whole thing. Maybe the best course was to just lay everything out there and see what Delilah thinks, he concluded. Okay, I guess I should start and get the ball rolling, Joe said and then turned on the couch so he would be facing her. She, too, took the cue and did the same. Joe noticed there was an anticipatory look on her face. Uh, he hoped he didn't guess wrong and took a deep breath before continuing. I really don't know where to start or just what we need to say or even want to say to each other, but I suppose I should just start at the beginning and work my way up to now. Then maybe you can tell your side. After that, we can sleep on it, regroup in the morning, and if you'd like, we can keep going. I don't think either of us is going anywhere tomorrow with all this snow starting to pile up out there, he added, gesturing towards the windows where she could see the snow was starting to gather around the bottom of the frame. She, <clears throat> she nodded in agreement, so he took a deep breath and started. <sighs> When Gabe and I first met in the Army, we immediately had this connection. I can't explain it. It was just there. We both felt it and accepted it. We immediately became brothers. Not like brothers, but actually became brothers. We'd share everything and talk about anything with each other. We were family. We went everywhere together. We stood up for each other and even looked out for each other no matter what the circumstances or the cost. We were just there for each other, and I had never felt something so natural before. We didn't have to work at it. It just was, if, if that makes sense. When we got our orders to deploy overseas, we both had a sinking feeling that something bad was going to happen. I never told Bells about that, and I'm pretty sure Gabe never told you about it either. It was just something that we shared among ourselves. We didn't even tell the other guys in the unit for fear of jinxing each other or something. That was an unwritten rule that everyone in our unit understood and knew. You don't talk about bad feelings or bad dreams. It just puts everything on the wrong path. It wasn't like we knew when it was going to happen or even what was going to happen. We just had a weird sensation from the very start. Of course, as you know, it didn't take all that long either. We'd only been in country for about a week, getting acclimated and trained up in on the situation and the environment and all. We were just coming to the point of getting into the rotation of patrolling. When we finally got the orders for our first patrol, the first sergeant had warned all of us that things were getting really tense in our area and that we needed to stay sharp, alert, and ready to react. The intel we got just the day before said the enemy was getting bolder by building up forces and it was believed that they were planning on an attack for the in the next few days. <clears throat> when we started out the next morning, we were both in the same Humvee. Sergeant Willis was the driver, Gabe in the shotgun or passenger seat. I was on the left rear. Sergeant Daniels was the other gunner in the right rear. <laughs> we had actually played rock, paper, scissors for the positions we got, and quite frankly, it ended up saving our lives. I'm sorry, I mean, 
Gabe and I both survived the initial attack. That That's what I meant. We started out on a patrol. And I have to say, everyone was really tense and on edge because of the intel we had received. We kept seeing the enemy around every rock and crevice we approached. I nearly squeezed the trigger on my own weapon several times from the intensity. I'm sure everyone else was the same. We came around a bend in the road, around a high hill where we couldn't see around it. The Ford spotters hadn't said anything, so we didn't expect there to be trouble. But as we rounded the hill, we drove down into what is called a choke point, which forced all the vehicles in a line, and we started getting too close to each other. This is when they ambushed our positions by using RPGs, rocket-propelled grenades, on the lead and rear vehicles to trap us inside. Once they hit these two vehicles, they started working their way towards the middle. Gabe and I were in the third Humvee in order from the front. At the onset of the attack, we realized we had nowhere to go, so we made the decision to exit the vehicle and try to find cover. The attack was coming from our driver's side as best we could tell, so we made the decision to climb out on the passenger side. <clears throat> you know, it still amazes me to look back on that day and realize that as tense as everyone was, no one pulled the trigger on their weapon as a reaction to the first explosion. Well, at least we never heard one. But anyway, we started climbing out of the Humvee, trying to stay low, and just then, boom, our Humvee got hit. I was in the back seat with Sergeant Daniels, and as soon as Gabe got out, he motioned us out before Sergeant Willis, the driver, and in that few seconds, it was the difference between me or Sergeant Willis surviving. I, I can't even explain how, but as the grenade hit the Humvee, the explosion ripped through the Humvee, taking out Sergeant Willis. The compression from the explosion also blew me right out of the Humvee and across the road. I was completely dazed and had no idea what had happened for a few seconds. Gabe came running up to me, grabbed me under the arms, and dragged me to protection over behind a huge rock. I had no way of knowing, but one of the enemy had spotted me laying there, or Gabe coming to get me, but he opened fire up on us. We both had on our bulletproof vest, but they can only do so much. I felt a sting in my leg, and I remember thinking that I must have broken my leg or something. I heard Gabe running a few times, and also thought that he was just struggling with my weight and weapons and everything else he was trying to drag. But that wasn't it. I'd been hit in the leg. Just a flesh wound was all, but Gabe... Joe had closed his eyes for a moment to regain his composure, and Delilah had put her hand to her mouth and was fighting back tears. Gabe had been hit several times in the back. I was just getting my wits back when we fell together behind that rock, and Gabe was grunting really loud, loud louder than was normal, and I couldn't understand why. But he had this strange look on his face, and somehow it just registered. I can't explain how I knew, but I just knew. About then, the choppers showed up, and the enemy disappeared. Gabe had sort of collapsed on me, and I remember trying to crawl out from under him, only to realize that he was holding me under. He was trying to protect me still. He used to always tell me that he had my back, and he did. I always believed him because I had his back, you know. I would have died for him. 
but things just turned out the other way around, Joe said while wiping his eyes. Delilah was listening so intently she hardly moved, but she too had tears flowing down her face. She had heard most of the details, but really wondered what Joe's side of things was like and had only been too scared to ask him, knowing that the events had to be hard on him too. Joe closed his eyes to calm down, but found himself right back there on that same day. They evacuated us out of there in a hurry. Me to the hospital in Germany and Gabe, they sent Gabe back home. I never even got to go to his funeral because I was laid up in the hospital. It wasn't until I got out and drove up there to his hometown to see him. I just wish I could have been there for you and his family, Joe said. I know, replied Delilah. It wasn't your fault, and I hope you don't blame yourself for any of this. I also want you to know that I never blamed you for it either. I have no way of knowing if you thought that, but I wanted to clear the air about it and make sure you knew that I understood. Gabe loved being there with you, and he was doing what he loved. There was no way possible that you could have done anything different, and we just have to find a way to accept things the way they are. I, I just had this huge hole in the middle of me, said Joe. I came home a complete wreck, which wasn't fair to Bells, <clears throat> but thank God she was patient with me and helped me get back on my feet. I also realized that at least I had Bells waiting for me back home. But what about you, he asked. Delilah looked down for a moment and then said, I have to admit that it was not easy at all. My entire world was just completely gone. I could do nothing for almost two solid weeks but lay on my bed and cry. I always knew there was the danger of what could happen. Belle and I would always talk about that and promise to be there for each other in case it did happen. And I have to say, Joe, without Bella being there for me like she was, I, I don't really know if I could have made it back. I really was a complete and total wreck. You know... I didn't even have any idea what had happened until Gabe's mom called me that afternoon when they got the news. She could hardly get it out, but she just had to let me know. I was sitting there in my room with my wedding planner almost completely filled out when she called me. My mom and dad were able to take off work, so they picked me up, and we drove up to Kentucky as soon as we could and stayed through the funeral, and then a couple of days afterwards... It, it was so strange. I did feel like part of the family, and they did everything they could to make me feel welcome and included me in everything they were going through. But I have to say, Joe, the one thing that really got to me was his flag. I understand it all, but when they handed his flag to his mother... I also desperately wanted his flag for myself, Delilah said before wiping the tears from her eyes. But still, Delilah said, trying to move the conversation along. I did eventually learn to live again somehow and was able to function. I'm still not over missing him, but I have learned to live with it and still carry on. D do you know what I mean? She asked Joe. Joe nodded. Yeah, I do know what you mean. When I first came home, 
I had to desensitize into civilian life, which was especially hard coming straight out of a war zone. Every loud noise made me jump. I had to be careful not to overreact to any situation that affected my emotions in any way. And when Bells and I would go to a restaurant and I had to sit with my back against the wall and I would just stare at the door waiting for someone bad to come in. Well, I still don't sit anywhere with my back to the door, but I don't stare people down anymore like that. It took us a while to learn how to cope together, but eventually Bells realized that woodworking held my attention and that I could focus on that, so she thought I should use that to try and get back on track. And it worked like a charm. Making the boxes like the one you saw in your room really brought me back, and Bells and I were finally in a good place. It's just like you said, I had to relearn how to live again. I was just making a good effort at it when Bells had her accident. It seems like the past three years have flown by. Maybe some people think I'm still holding on to all my grief, but I have to say, being here in this house that we shared together with all the good memories and things that we had accomplished together, it makes me feel better. I personally think I am coping better. He thought a minute and added, at least I can feel myself breathing again, he added sarcastically. Delilah smiled. I have to admit, I was really wondering how you were coping out here all by yourself. Most people living alone would not be the ideal scenario for dealing with grief, especially as much as you have been through, but I can see that you're doing very well. On that note, do you, do you have any friends around here? Delilah asked. Well, there are a few people I run across here and there, and like I said, I sell some of the boxes locally. So the store owner here, Mr. Charlie, He's a pretty nice guy, and we get along just fine. But honestly speaking, as far as friends go, I pretty much have stuck to myself out here since Bell's passed, keeping myself busy with everything that needs to be fixed, replaced, or repaired around here. That's enough to keep a person busy, he said. <clears throat> they both sat and stared at the fire for a few minutes. Joe thought that maybe this was a good as any this was as good a time as any to get to the point. So, can I ask you if you have started back dating, or are you seeing anyone serious, he asked. He watched Delilah's face for any reaction, but she just stared at the fire for a few seconds, obviously thinking about her answer, and then she turned to face him. No, I really just never got to that point until recently, I have to say. There have been a few guys that I see at the hospital who've been interested, but my mind just wouldn't let me go there for a while, she replied. Joe started to say something, but realized she was in the middle of her answer, and it just took a breath to think before continuing. But if I'm totally honest here, that was one of the reasons I called you up. Please understand, I'm only curious to see where you and I are in this whole thing and whether or not we could, or even should, try to work out some kind of relationship. Bella was my best friend, and I would never do anything to disrespect her, her memory, or any kind of feelings that you may still have for her. I hope you understand. I really didn't know how you would react to all of this, but I at least wanted to let you know where I stand, and just casually see what you thought about it. We both suffered through similar tragedy, and I felt like this was one thing that might draw us together. I, I don't know. 
I'm starting to think this was not such a good idea after all, she said, flustered. Joe smiled at her. Hey, you are not wrong. I too have to admit that I was thinking along the very same lines. I don't have anyone else who could understand me like someone who had been through the same thing. Although no one here has approached me about dating or anything, I too felt like this is what Bells would have, would have me to do. She would want me to live my life. When you first called me, I did struggle with whether this was a good idea or not. But I do have peace with Bells being okay with us, maybe at least giving it a try. I can't promise anything, but I've been thinking about it too, he admitted. Oh, I'm so relieved. I was just so scared that I might offend you or make you mad, but I just had to lay it out there and ask, you know? Delilah said, <laughs> Joe laughed. Well, I'm proud of you for being that honest. I think if we waited for me to get up the courage, maybe <laughs> we might still be here for another few hours, I think, he said. They both laughed and then hugged each other and held this for a while. Both admitted that it did feel good to have someone to lean on again. It was getting late, so Joe took their coffee mugs back into the kitchen while Delilah made her way to her room for the night. Joe took a moment and stared out the kitchen window into the falling snow. Bells, I can't help but think you just might have had something to do with this, he asked himself. Well, I can get too ahead of myself, but this does look promising, he thought, as he turned and shut off the kitchen lights. He looked outside once more and had to smile at how Bells would have reacted to all this snow. Chapter 20 Christmas had passed and the snow was starting to melt. Anna had said something about how fast it was going away and Julia told her about the motto of North Carolina weather. If you don't like it, just hang on. It's about to change. Anna had thought that was funny, but she had to agree. Right through Christmas, it had been snowing, and then the following week, the highs had been around 55 to 60 degrees. But now that Julia could get out and about safely, she had to figure out what she was going to do about Nathan. She would be starting with the North Carolina Symphony here in a few weeks and had to have a plan in place for his care. When she had decided on keeping her dad's house and moving here, she went ahead and called the local elementary school to enroll Nathan for the rest of the year. But now the monumental task would be to find someone she could trust to watch him after hours and whenever she would be away with the symphony. This would be very difficult, to say the least. It was now Thursday, and Anna had volunteered to watch Nathan so she could take a drive to Raleigh to figure out the best route to take and to visit the location, the conductor, and maybe a few of her fellow musicians. The drive was not all that bad, about an hour and 20 minutes by her calculations. Yes, it was a long drive, but it beat living within the city limits of Raleigh, which was already overcrowded, a fact that was just starting to annoy her about living in Boston. She arrived with very little trouble and parked in the parking lot. She, che she checked herself in the rearview mirror and then stepped out of the car to walk into the building. A few other musicians seemed to have just arrived and were also walking inside, so she joined them smiling and saying hello. Julia? Julia Trogdon? She heard someone ask. She had not been called by her maiden name in so long it took her by surprise. She turned around and immediately recognized the face. Charlotte, is that you? She asked the smiling woman approaching her, knowing without any doubt this is who she was. The flaming red hair completely 
giving her away. Charlotte Davis had been a flutist in middle school with Julia before she had transferred to the School of the Arts. Yes, yes, it's me. What are you doing here? Charlotte asked. Julia replied, I'm joining the symphony in the new year, so I thought it'd be a good idea to come by and check things out. Well, that is just wonderful. I'm so excited. What's it been since high school, right? Charlotte asked. No, actually, it was middle school. I transferred to the School of the Arts before my freshman year, replied Julia. Oh, yes, that's right. I remember now. That was a pretty big deal. <clears throat> I heard you went on to Juilliard as well, asked Charlotte. Julia smiled at the fond memory and replied, yeah, that's right. I had a wonderful time there, too. It was really amazing. Charlotte then went on to explain how she won a music scholarship at the, to the University of North Carolina for the flute, <clears throat> which turned into a fast-track opportunity at the symphony here. They concluded their small talk as they made their way inside the building. Charlotte then basically guided Julia around by pointing out everything uh, she would need to know, such as where the conductor's office was, where the musicians' equipment rooms were located, etc. <clears throat> when she was about finished, Julia asked, Charlotte, uh, the main reason I came today was to find out if there are any child care programs available or something like that. I have a five-year-old son at home, and I'll have to find someone trustworthy to watch him while I'm gone. Five years old? Well, doesn't that beat all? I have a five-year-old son at home as well. And an eight-year-old daughter, too. Charlotte was nearly bubbling over with this revelation. So, do you live around here? Asked Julia. Or she asked Julia. Julia looked down to the ground and then said, No, actually, Nathan and I moved in my dad's old place. He just passed right after Thanksgiving. I'd been with the Boston Philharmonic, but decided to take up roots and move back home since Dad left me the house, replied Julia. She could see the multitude of expressions changing on Charlotte's face as she explained everything. I'm so sorry, Julia. We had heard about your dad's passing, and I wanted to attend the funeral, but we were out of town visiting my husband, Daryl's family in Virginia, Charlotte said. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, replied Julia. Now, to answer your question about child care, <clears throat> it just so happens that we too live in the area and have a wonderful babysitter for our two kids. I'm sure it'd be nothing for her to take on Nathan as well. She picks the kids up from school all the time and occasionally takes them in the mornings when we both are unable to. But of course, you'll want to check her out for yourself, I'm sure. Her name is Patty Nelson, and she is absolutely wonderful. She's in her 50s, lives alone, and tells me she would rather watch the kids than do anything else. Or so she tells me, says Charlotte. Julia couldn't believe it. This was wonderful news. She would certainly look into this Patty Nelson, but she seemed fairly certain that this would work out. Even better that Charlotte also had a five-year-old that maybe Nathan could become friend good friends with. He certainly needs to get out and make some friends, she concluded. 